Welcome, everybody, to another Smart Money Circle update. I'm Adam Sarhan. With me today is a very, very special guest. I am very excited for today's interview. It's Scott Schmarin, who is the founder of the ultimatevisionarymind.com, and he's a neuroperformanceologist. The whole point of this show, Smart Money Circle, is to find timeless advice to help you grow and learn. And Scott, I believe, is one of those truly blessed souls that has a brilliant mind. I'll let him speak for himself. Thanks. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks. So, Scott, I always like to begin. Can you tell us your story, which is remarkable, and how you got to where you are today, please? Sure. Well, you know, when I grew up as a kid, I always had this idea in my head or maybe even in my heart that I needed to help people make a difference in this world. And you would have known me as a kid because I was the fat kid in my neighborhood. And when I say fat, I was really heavy. And people made fun of me. Kids teased me and bullied me. Sometimes even the parents, they would say things. And being sensitive, it hurt. And what happened was I started to withdraw from the world. And my life became eating and watching TV. A lot of bad sitcoms from the 60s and the 70s. And it was really just this perpetual, horrible thing. You know, I would withdraw for being teased and I would eat more and more and watch more TV, then get heavier, then be teased more. And it got worse and worse and worse. And so many things happened. Like I remember growing up as a kid and in junior high school, every used to do the presence program on physical fitness. I don't even know if they still do that anymore. I've done that. But, yeah. I remember and those it was a week long of all kinds of things like push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups. None of them I did really well. But the day I hated the most, there was one day that they weighed us. And in our gym class, our gym teacher thought it was much more efficient to weigh us from the lightest to the heaviest kid. And it would be the same thing every year. It'd be the end of the gym class and all the kids have already been weighed in and they're all on the one side of the gym. And I'm just standing there by myself. And every year I would wish for the same thing that some new kid would move into my neighborhood who was bigger and heavier than me. So they could be the heaviest in the last one. And it'd be the same thing every year. There'd be nobody left. And the gym teacher would say, okay, Schmarin and anybody else and there wouldn't be anybody else and everybody would just cheer and clap like it was a big honor to be the heaviest one in the class and I'd put on this big fake smile and inside I was dying and I'd weigh in and all kinds of things like that happened and growing up through life just how about getting on an airplane and not being able to fit in the seat and having to ask the flight attendant for a seatbelt extender and if you don't know what that is, that's the part they use when they show you how the seatbelt works on the airplane, even though everybody knows how to do it already. And there's nothing more embarrassing than have to ring the call button and ask for it. And everybody looks and it's embarrassing. And I remember being in my early 20s and being invited to a New Year's Eve party. And I was excited to be invited. There was 50 people there. And I remember they had this big spread of food and I made a big plate of food for myself, grabbed my Diet Coke. And I remember finding this rocking chair it was perfectly situated in the room where I could sit down and just watch everything. And I sat down with my food and the Diet Coke and all of a sudden the chair just broke oh. and not just broke. It just, I crushed it. It was like a scene out of a movie and food, Diet Coke and this little short fat guy laying on the floor. And in that moment, everybody froze. They turned around and looked and they all started to laugh. And I guess if I was watching it too, it'd be funny, but I never felt so horrible in my life. I just wished I was about this big and I could just go hide someplace. 
And again, I put on that stupid grin in my face and I got out there as fast as I could. I spent the rest of my New Year's Eve that day in my apartment that night with my two best friends at that time. A large sausage pizza from a local pizza place that I had a tab with because I ate there so much and a frozen cheesecake and that little voice inside of me wanting to help people and make a difference in this world died and it got to the point where I was so angry and so frustrated I don't know how many times I had lost weight put it back on I was frustrated and I finally gave up I couldn't stand it anymore the pain was too great and I lost my will and my desire to live so I took an entire bottle of sleeping pills and an entire bottle of painkillers. And I remember putting them in a little paper Dixie cup going into my bathroom. And I put that Dixie cup on the bathroom counter. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and not seeing anything. Wow. I was in a lot of pain. Wow. And I took all the pills. I took all the pills. And in that moment, I felt two things. One, I felt this huge relief that my life was going to end and I was going to be out of pain, but I was also terrified. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember sitting in this chair in my living room. It was my almost like my security blanket. I would sit in that chair. I'd watch TV. I'd eat. I'd pontificate from that chair. I'd hide from the world in that chair. And at some point, I don't remember much after that, I passed out. And then something miraculous happened. I don't know what but I took enough medication probably to kill an elephant. I was at my worst. Um, I'm not a giant. I'm five foot six. At that point, I weighed 360 pounds. I had a 56 inch waist. I was almost as big around as I was tall. And I passed out in that chair. And I remember the following morning opening my eyes. I never went to a hospital. And I remember seeing the light coming through my living room window. And I felt this tremendous sense of peace. I thought I was dead for a moment, to be honest with you. And I opened my eyes and then I realized that I was alive. And I said, you know what? I must be here for a reason. And in that moment, I began to cry and I felt this tremendous relief, but also something happened that I had never felt before. I became responsible for myself. I stopped blaming everybody else for me being heavy or not loving me and accepting me or not being as successful as I wanted to be. I realized that I was the maker of my own mess. And I got out of that chair and I wow. said to myself, I want to find out why, why are there two people inside of me? And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. The person inside of me that wants to be happy, healthy, thin, successful, loved. And yet every time I tried to move in that direction, something else just hold me right back. Like there was another person inside of me. Wow. So I began to read. I started studying how the mind worked and I set my first goal. And my first goal was just to be able to go out in public and not be noticed as the fat guy. And the more I read, I realized that it was the subconscious mind that controlled everything. We try to change everything at a conscious level. And that usually does not work. And I started studying things like hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming and different types of meditation and creative visualization. And I started taking their commonalities and I started forming this process, which now I call the quadric formula for success. And I began to change. And soon I was at a normal size and weight. And then I decided, you know, I want so much more. So I created a vision of how I want my life to be. I mean, there's things I had never done because I wasn't physically able to or I was afraid to leave the small cage I created for myself in my home. 
And as I started to change, people started to notice. And I was a residential real estate broker at the time. It was actually pretty successful. And the little voice in my head came back and it says, you know, you need to help people and make a difference in this world. And I kind of shushed that voice and it kept getting louder and started screaming at me. And I said, okay, this is what I need to be doing. All my life, this is how I saw myself as helping people and make a difference in this world. So I walked away from my real estate career and I started working with people and helping people and helping them change their lives, whether not just to lose weight, but you know, people want to be more successful. They want to make more money. There's obstacles and challenges they want to come overcome, stress, anxiety, financial abundance. And this has been my path really for the last 15, 16 years. Absolutely remarkable story, Scott. Thank you for sharing it. So how old were you when you were in that chair looking up and you had the aha moment? I was about 40 years old, or so a little over 20 years ago. Okay. And my path has just evolved and changed. It's still changing and evolving now. It's funny. So the two voices in your head, I have you read my book or not yet? I have not read your book yet. So my book, it's about psychological analysis. I have a very similar story, had overcome a lot of childhood stuff, adversity, and I was overweight as well. And I remember that present day challenge and it sucked to put it nicely. But you know, how there's a good evil inside of us, the smart, dumb side of us sure. and all that fun stuff. So in the book, it's the only finance book I know of that has cartoons in it. I put cartoons in it to illustrate those two sides. So the guy, in the, the big one is a superhero, the smart money superhero, I call him. And the other one is a dumb money beast. It's almost like a Tasmanian devil inside of us, causing us to run around, make emotional decisions, not logical ones. And the You're smart right. money superhero is, is designed to uh, help us make logical, rational, emotional decisions, not, um, you know, sorry, not emotional decisions, rational decisions make and good decisions. Uh, over, overcome the beast. Yeah. So that's kind of the premise of my life's journey, even though it's the first time we meet and speak um, for, you know, a decent amount of time. I'm I'm really fascinated with with what you've learned and almost like what we've learned in parallel universes together. Sure. So, um, all right, let's let's jump in well, if we can. Yeah, you know, well, you said something. So there's like these two beasts inside of us. And I think what people yeah. don't realize, you know, we are products of the environment that we grow up in, whether it's just environment, trauma. And what happens is I find there's a commonality. I work with lots of people for lots of things. And a lot of it stems down to worthiness. And a lot of people don't see themselves worthy, whether it's making more money or being successful. Like I work with a lot of small business and salespeople. And a lot of them come to me with two different issues, but they're really the same issue. Uh, I got a salesperson that they get to a certain income level and they can't get over it. Right. They're stuck. Or they have huge success, make a lot of money, and then they crash and burn, and then they do this. They're up, and then they're down. Then when it gets too low, then they kick back in that gear, and it all comes back to worthiness. They don't really think they're worthy of what they want and desire because it's been programmed into their head. And we know that our subconscious mind doesn't distinguish real and not real, good or bad, right or wrong. So if the picture is, this is how you've always been, the moment you try to change it, you're going to get resistance. You know, it's the reason was 97% of people that lose weight, put it back on. Why? The picture up here says that you're supposed to be heavy if you've been heavy all your life. So right. now you go against that picture and your mind goes, well, wait a minute, what are you doing? You've been heavy all your life and you're alive. So being heavy must be a good thing. And yes, it is that simple. That's how it thinks. So now you're going to lose weight and you're getting thinner. We don't know about that. That could be dangerous. It could even kill you. So we're going to try and convince you not to do it or Find when something comes up out of the ordinary, out of your life, we're going to use that as a rationalization why you can't do this anymore. And I, I see that with almost everybody. It, their limiting values and beliefs 
usually are not theirs. They just, they've been adopted through the environment they live in or grew up in. Wow. I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to, call, I call them mental walls. When you do something and hit a wall. And yeah, I love that. So, okay. Let's talk about the breakthrough, Scott, because a lot of what you do came when you realized that you're in control, you took power and you changed right. the identity, yeah, that identity. Let's talk about that. How do you break down those mental walls? How do you break through? How do you change the identity? What is the quadratic formula and how does that work? Well, okay. Well, the, the first simple thing is you got to be aware of the things that you're doing. You know, if you're not aware of what you're doing, it's kind of hard to change what you're not aware of is becoming conscious of what you do. Um, so the quadratic formula is this process that I was using that I didn't know that I was using. I started with me and it's like I walked myself through this process and I started going back with all the people I was working with and realizing that I was following a formula that I didn't realize I was for, that I was using. The formula was the same. It would work. It was applied differently to each person because everybody's different. So right. the quadratic formula really evolves around four things. I call them the four R's. They are relax, release, reprogram, reinforce. So the first one, relax. In a deep, relaxed, hypnotic, meditative state, you relieve a lot of stress and anxiety. And you are also in a peak performance state, much the same way an athlete is performing in the zone. So you have much greater access to your resources, your skills, your creativity, your imagination, your memory, and better control of your emotions, feelings, and habits. And then you can learn how to access that state, which is what I teach. So you can access that state even when you're fully awake anytime you choose, like in your business, making better decisions, better problem-solving skills, controlling your impulses, eating, spending, making emotional decisions in regards to finances. And then from there, we move into the next step, which is release. We already touched on that. Old junk, garbage, and crap from your past stuck in your head. They're negative filters. They keep you from moving forward or you move forward and they just suck you right back to where you were before. That's and we got to get rid of that stuff. Right. And then once you unload that stuff, you just free up all this space in your mind to plant the seeds of what you want. And then we move into reprogramming. And like I mentioned before, your subconscious mind season pictures, it doesn't distinguish real and not real, and it doesn't distinguish time. So if you give it a picture of what you want and how you want to be with purpose, passion, and conviction, as if it's happening right now, it'll accept that as being true and start driving towards that picture. So one of the things we do in this in the program I work with people is I have them create a vision of how they want their life to be in every aspect of their life. And then burn it into the subconscious mind with hypnosis and some other tools. So like for me, my first vision was I wanted to be 175 pounds or less and have a strong, healthy, lean, attractive body that I maintain for the rest of my life. And I made it very real in my mind using tools like hypnosis. And it became my reality. Mine said, okay, well, gee, what does a man at 175 pounds do? How does he eat? How does he dress? How does he carry himself? How does he think? And I started adopting those behaviors. And what happened was, now you're not attached to the short-term outcomes. Like, well, this didn't work today, so it must not be working. I became really committed to the process saying, okay, okay. if I do this, this is going to go forever. And then one day I'm wake up, I'm under 175 pounds and nothing has to change because I'm, I'm inside that way. And by the way, that's true for everything. If you look at like the big business moguls, you could take the musks and the, the jobs and even go all the way back in history to, you know, Alexander Graham Bell and all these other people. They didn't become successful and think that way. 
they had a clear vision of what they wanted and how they wanted to be focused all their energy on it. Maybe if you want to say became obsessed with it. And then it was a matter of the physical world catching up with their internal world. Right. It's just, it's just the way it is. We see it all the time. You see any great athlete, they had a vision of what they wanted to accomplish, how they wanted to be. If you read any biography on any world leaders, business people, clear picture in their head of what they wanted and they just focus their attention on it. Here, the book, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. A quintessential book on success, all-time best-selling book. Napoleon Hill, in his complete work, Law of Success, talked about how these highly successful people, every night as they were going to sleep, they envisioned the vision of what they wanted to accomplish and then fell asleep on it. So what were they doing? They were drifting off into sleep, which means they're going down into alpha and down theta, which is a hypnotic state, giving this message to their subconscious mind and then letting their subconscious mind play with it all night long. It's very powerful. It's how it works. And Napoleon Hill talked about focusing your attention on your, what do you call your goal, your chief aim or your definite major purpose in life, turning it over to your subconscious mind and then turning it over to the infinite intelligence of the universe, however you want to define that for yourself. And then the last R in this equation is reinforce. You know, if you go to the gym, you work out, you get in really good shape, what do you do? You're going to keep going. And the same thing holds true for your subconscious mind. So is creating these new routines. We are creatures of habit and routine. So if you create this new routine and then reinforce it over and over, it becomes your norm. And then you start moving down this path. It's really pretty simple. And it's really pretty easy. It's unfortunate that in our world, no one gives us a handbook on how to use our, our, our mind, which would be much easier. So I absolutely love it. So actually, I'm in the process of starting a foundation to do just that. And it's one of my passions in life is uh, it's instead of reinventing the wheel. So, okay, this is absolutely brilliant, Scott. So you did that to yourself when you had that shift in your mindset from yes. 40 and after. So you did it, you just stumbled upon it or you said you studied NLP and hypnosis? Well, and I started reading books mm -hmm. and I noticed commonalities, which everything had to do with the subconscious mind. And then I spent, hundreds, probably thousands of hours in classrooms, learning from people. Um, I had some really incredible masters. I spent um, over a hundred hours in a classroom with a teacher learning hypnosis. Um, I was able to study NLP with one of the creators of NLP, which is wow. Richard Bandler. And um, I've studied a lot of things from the Silva method to all kinds of things. And I still like to learn new things. You never know what you're going to pick up. Sure. And they're so helpful and it helps you push your mind and keep pushing your mind in the direction you want to go. Love it. So let's let's go a little bit with the success mindset. I know you're very success driven. You've obviously turned your life around and, and hats off to you. Standing ovation. What, Thank you. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, what is the success mindset, the blueprint that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I, a couple things. You know, success is about making small adjustments and changes and just doing them over and over. And I think the reason most people fail at achieving success, however you want to define success, is they create an expectation in their mind. And don't get me wrong, an expectation is a double-edged sword. So having the expectation of succeeding is a wonderful thing. Then what happens is we create an expectation of how that path is supposed to go and how long it's supposed to take. And that is even okay unless we become married to that expectation. Uh -huh. And then what happens is 
that expectation is really not based on anything, especially if you've never had that type of success, whether it's losing weight, making more money, whatever it is. So your expectation is really not based on anything. It's just based on your opinion. Now you start driving down that path, it's not working. You're not getting there or it's not happening, happening as quickly as it can. So right. what happens? They quit. Yeah, they, they, quit they didn't meet the stop. expectations. They think what they're doing doesn't work or they're not good enough. When the reality is if they just kept going, they would be fine. I see yeah. it all the time. People go to a seminar and they're expecting this big giant aha that's going to transform their life in a split second. And it doesn't happen. Success, small incremental changes done consistently over and over and over create success. And people don't really think that way. And they see little tiny changes and they don't think it's enough again, because their expectations are wrong. So I would say the greatest thing you can do to be successful, anything you do is to embrace your three best friends. And if you can embrace these three best friends, you'll have lifelong success in every area of your life. And those three best friends are patience, persistence, faith. So patience. Patience is knowing that however long that journey is, you're going to stay on it. And it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. It's just keep plugging away and getting there and doing it no matter how long it takes that you're in it for the long haul persistence. We have this idea that we're going to go from point A to point B in a straight line. Right. I don't know anybody yet that I've met that that happens. There are going to be curves, bumps. If you live in a place that has winter, like I do in Chicago, potholes in that road to getting there. They're all things that you need to learn to get there. And what happens for many people, and we talk about resistance in the mind for change, they start on the journey, things start to go well, then something happens. And instantly the mind says, oh my God, see, this doesn't work. And then they turn around and they run tail back to where they were before. So yeah. persistence is knowing that whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And you're just going to keep plugging away. If you get knocked down, you get back up. Persistence, you just keep going and faith. If Love you knew it. how to get from point A to point B, you would be there already, but you don't. So you take action and you move in that direction. And faith is knowing that you don't know what you need to know, but you have the faith that every step you take is going to open up a new doorway or show you something new and different that's going to help you get to there. And so faith is knowing you're just going to take action and you're just going to keep going. So if you can embrace those three things, that's really a very simple formula for success. Yeah, no, I've noticed most things in life are simple, but not easy. Like, wait, ah. right? <laughs> yeah, you, you get it. Calories in versus calories out, but most people are right. Really... Okay, so it is simple. Um, but most yeah. people just don't want to do it. They want it now. And we let's face it, we live in a world now where everything's instant. You yeah. know, when I grew up as a kid, if you ordered something by mail, if you got it in 30 days, you were thrilled. Now it's not on there on day two. We want yeah. to know why it's taking so long. Yeah. So, so okay. I, I absolutely love that. So let's talk about course correction. So I was going to ask you about the three best friends. I listened to your TED talk. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. That was my next question. So when you patience, persistence, and then faith, what if you're doing something quote unquote wrong and it's leading you in the wrong direction, but you keep doing it, expecting it to change or how do you square that where you're just doing well, the wrong thing? Well, you, you can't be married to the actions you take. Okay. Mm. So you take an action. How did it work? Is it working? Good. Keep going in that direction. If it's not working, you make adjustments. You know, it's not enough just to think about what you want. You have to take action. Does it have to be the right action? No, because the moment you take action, you get a result. Maybe it's the right result or a, a result that's leading you down the path to where you want to go. 
or the feedback is, no, this is not working. So you make an adjustment. You don't quit. It's it's adjust, keep going. Adjust, keep going. Or the, the analogy I use is if I handed you a pistol, and I say, I want you to shoot the bullseye on the target. What'll happen is most people will aim and they'll aim and they'll aim and they'll never shoot the gun because they're trying to hit the bullseye on the first shot. And they're probably not going to, and they want to take the perfect shot. You can't. Right. A highly successful person will aim the gun, fire, see where the bullet goes, adjust, shoot, adjust, shoot until they hit the bullseye. And that's so, really what it's about is action, adjust, action, adjust. It's not difficult, but again, we want to take perfect action and you can't do that. You just take action. You know, action is movement and movement creates results and results create success. Absolutely love it. It's so brilliant. It's almost like overanalysis leads to paralysis where they're just too trying to overanalyze all the time. Yeah, all the time. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about hypnosis, please. Can you give us an overview on how it works? Well, you know, there's a lot of woo-woo that people think about hypnosis. And the reality is it's a natural state of mind that we are in and out of all day long. Neuroscientists have told us that about 85 to 90% of what we do during the day are done at a subconscious level. So People say, why well, I'm not hypnotizable. I've never been hypnotized. Well, you are. Let me give some examples. In your daily life, how many people drive to work, to the office, or home from work every day, and half the time they don't remember driving there, they didn't hit anything, and they didn't destroy their car? They were in a hypnotic state. Or you go to a movie theater and you watch a movie. It's a three-hour-long movie. Now, consciously, you know the movie's not real. Right. But you are emotionally invested in the characters and everything is real. You feel their emotions, anger, sadness, joy. And then when the movie's over, that three hours seemed like 10 minutes. Time yeah. distortion. It's hypnosis. So we do very little at a conscious level. And that's why when people try to make change, either doesn't work at all or it lasts for a very short period of time because inside their core value and beliefs haven't been changed. And so hypnosis is a tool of being able to go into your subconscious mind, taking conscious control of it and changing it. And your subconscious mind controls more than your thoughts, your core values and beliefs. It controls every function and aspect of your body, the blood coursing through your veins and arteries, the breath you're taking, your heart beating. It controls all those things. So it's pretty, pretty simple. And it's just about relaxing your mind and going to that state of mind and then telling your mind what you want. It's really that simple. Wow. So what you're saying is that example, driving to work and stopping at every red light and not killing anybody, you're not consciously doing that. That's your subconscious, even though you're spaced out thinking of something else. So anytime you're spaced out, I guess that would mean that you're in that hypnotic state at some well, level. Well, daydreaming is a hypnotic state. I mean, okay. here, how many times do you have a bad dream and you have a really bad nightmare and you wake up, your heart's going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. You're in a cold sweat. And the first thing says, oh my God, thank God it wasn't real. Okay. But your, your body's response to the picture in your head was real because it didn't distinguish what was physically real or it was just an internal picture. It's your subconscious mind. And that's really what a state of hypnosis is. If I had to define it, it's really simple. It's a mono-focused state of mind. Here, imagine this. Wow. Right now, as we're speaking, we are taking in millions upon millions of bits of information every second through our five senses. Yet we can only process, I'll be really generous, maybe a thousand a minute. So millions and millions and millions a second, maybe a thousand a minute. So what happens is your mind deletes almost all of it. Most of it's worthless. 
but you keep what's valuable to you based on your values and beliefs. And then we spin them, rationalize them, and then spit them back out into the world. So now when you go into a relaxed state of hypnosis, you begin to change how you see things and you engage what's called your reticular activating system. That's what neuroscientists call your radar. So all day long in the background, you put a new picture in your head of what you want to achieve and your subconscious mind is running in the background looking for things that can help you achieve that. And then when it notices something, bam, it instantly brings it to your conscious mind's attention. So like, here's a perfect example of this. You buy a brand new car. I was going to say punch off the dealer's lot. And as you're driving home, you notice all these brilliant people that bought the same car you bought. Maybe a different color. But man, you start noticing your car everywhere you go. That's your reticular activating system. The reality Mm -hmm. is those cars have been there all along. They're there every day, but now they're part of your awareness. And so engaging your subconscious mind in what you want it to do as a tool through hypnosis allows you to change the pictures in your head and start driving towards those pictures. Because really, your subconscious mind's whole goal, good or bad, it doesn't really care, is to take the strong pictures in your mind and try and move them into the physical world. That's that simple. Okay, beautiful. So that was my next question. It's how do you control that subconscious mind? Is it by doing what you mentioned earlier, sleeping at night and then planting the image of what you want? That's a simple way to do it. Yes. Is, you know, at night, as you're going to bed, Mm -hmm. it's focus your attention on what you want and allow yourself to fall asleep to it. And you're giving your mind a very powerful message. Your subconscious mind is up 24 hours a day. It doesn't sleep. That's what causes your dreams. It's your awareness. Like, especially you see with moms, they can be sound asleep and they instantly know there's something wrong with their child who's not crying and they they wake up and they know. And so it's running all the time. So if you're giving, you might as well just give it something to do as opposed to letting it run willy nilly and doing anything it wants to do, give it some direction, let it, let it focus on what you really want. I love that. Instead of focusing on what you don't want, which is what most people do all day, every day, walk around. I don't want this. I don't want that. Okay. Got it. Makes perfect sense. Okay. Let's speak about pain because that's obviously a big topic for humans how do you heal from pain or what are some tactics or techniques you recommend you know about people? physical pain or i guess emotional pain emotional pain and i i guess more emotional but physical i'm assuming you go to the doctor he takes care of you if you break your wrist you put a cast on you'll get better but I'm, i was more along emotional subconscious pain mental pain spiritual pain things of that nature well, most of our pain happens from things that happened to us from the past mm-hmm. their childhood traumas or here, here's a perfect example of PTSD is a hypnotic state. You're re-experiencing something that had already had happened in the past. You're re-experiencing it if it's happening now and it's real and your body's producing those same physical symptoms. Um, yeah, the second R in the quadric formula is releasing, is going in and releasing those things. And I believe that a person doesn't have to re-experience negative emotions, feelings, pain, or even trauma to get rid of that old stuff. And I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people. And I pretty much know that to be true is it's not, it's not difficult to unload what we've been carrying around. And the reason we carry those things around is they're coping mechanisms. Right. Um, maybe at some point in the past, especially as a child, when your ability to handle and deal with the reality of the world is not very good because you don't have any experience, you did something like you ate too much or same thing for a drug addict. They got that really amazing high and they felt incredible and all their problems went away. And now their mind wants to re-experience it again. So it starts reinforcing that behavior, assuming that it's good, even though it's not good, trying to recapture that feeling or as a way, as a coping mechanism to, to deal with 
what you really don't want to deal with. Interesting. So would you say that uh, you said that it's, you can release that pain mm-hmm. what are some ways that people can release the pain? Well, you know, here, I'll give you a simple technique. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, your mind likes stories or I would say metaphors. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, I came from Abraham Lincoln to a certain extent, you know, Abraham Lincoln is one of my big heroes. And it was after the civil war and a newspaper reporter was asking him how he stayed so calm and collected and even tempered. And he busted out laughing. He says, I'm not that way at all. But what he would do is when he was really angry with somebody or upset or something really, really negative, he would write out the most poisonous, venomous letter he possibly could to that person or regarding the situation. And then he would destroy it. Wow. That's it. He would never mail it, never give it. And so what's happening in that process? The act, it's a very powerful metaphor. The act of writing things out, getting it out of here, writing it out, handwriting it out on a piece of paper, takes it out of your body, and then you need to destroy it. So what a lot of times I have my clients do is write out the things they don't like, the things they're angry at, and write it out. Make it as mean and horrible as you have to. And then after you write it, you'll feel better. But then the next step would be to destroy it. And one of the most powerful metaphors for destruction in your mind is to burn it. So either on your grill or in a fire pit in a fireplace, someplace safe, is take that piece of paper you wrote with all this poisonous stuff on it, fold it up, start a fire. And before you throw in the fire, make some kind of a ritual saying, hey, as I throw all this old negative stuff in my life in the fire, it is burned up and it is gone from my life forever. However you want to phrase it. It's a really powerful metaphor for getting rid of things. I've done this in some of the workshops I've taught for companies is we'll have everybody on one of the days write out all their crap and then we'll go out in the back, take a grill or a fire pit and then we'll burn them. And it's really, it's a very powerful metaphor and it's something you can do over and over again. And it's very helpful. It's very helpful. And it's a very simple thing that really anybody can do. Yeah, that is so powerful. Now, do you uh, do any work with the inner child or healing the inner child? Is it virtually Um, the same if How necessary, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the great things about hypnosis is time doesn't exist. Okay. So, so I'll give you an example. I, years ago, I worked with this guy. I was in New York. Guy comes to see me. First thing he does, he sits down in my room and he's got bad stomach cramps. He has to go to the bathroom. And the reason he's coming to see me is every time he meets somebody new or he has to do something different, he gets these horrible, horrible stomach cramps and has to go to the bathroom. And in our conversation, I noticed there was a block of time missing from his childhood, which is usually a sign of trauma. It's children have very, very limited skills and resources to deal with bad things, especially when they're being dominated by somebody bigger, like an adult. So the body's last defense for survival is to shut down and block it out from your conscious mind because it's too overwhelming to deal with, but yet it still affects you. So in our first hypnotic session, we went back to his childhood as a brother and his father was extremely abusive. His father would hit his mother with, with a fist. And every time, and here's where it came from, every time him and his brother made a mistake, he would punch them in the stomach as hard as he could. Oh. So now we know where the stomach cramps come from. Right. So what we did is we went down the timeline of his life. And again, past, present, future all coexist in the hypnotic state. Go down the timeline of his life goes down to a time when he remembers his father hitting him really hard in the stomach and it made that lasting impression, 10 years old. And right before his father is getting ready to hit him, we freeze the picture. Now he steps into the picture as an adult, grabs his father's hand and stops him from doing it. And then he 
embraces his 10-year-old self as an adult saying, hey, this is not your fault. Look at me. You're going to be fine. You're going to be a great father. You're going to have children. And he and it's a really a powerful moment when somebody can embrace themselves as an adult, as a child. And what happens is now the entire timeline of their life changes from that moment on and moves forward in time to the present. And it goes away. It's really a powerful thing. It sounds kind of strange, but it really can be a very powerful thing. It's almost like Back to the Future when Marty and and yes. into the, the chalkboard with exactly. the old. Exactly, it's a very good five. analogy. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I love that. That is so so powerful. All right. Um, we spoke about your best friends. We spoke about hypnosis. We spoke about pain. Uh, let's talk about pleasure. So, the pain and pleasure of the human mind. You're, you're familiar with that. The yeah. Okay. So, what are some ways that pleasure can be good and pleasure can be bad? Well, I mean, you see that with drug addicts and alcoholics, especially a drug addict, you know, they got this ultimate high the first time they tried whatever drug they were doing, and now their mind is trying to chase it, and it doesn't work. You know, our mind either drives towards pleasure or away from pain. And one of the reasons that people fail is they always talk about what they don't want. I yes. don't like, they, you know, one of the exercises I have, let people make a list of the things they want to accomplish. And many times I get, well, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to do that. I go, no. Because what you're really telling your mind is that's what you are and that's what you have and that's what your mind focuses on. You want to drive towards what you want, not away from what you don't want. And there's like a fine line in there. Income tax is the perfect thing. Maybe less so now is, you know, used to see people lining up on April 15th at the post office to get that tax return in yeah. by midnight. Why they wait till the last minute? Because they start thinking about their taxes in January. And that's a painful thing. So their mind wants to move away from pain. Then at some point, that switch flips over and saying, wait a minute, it's getting close. We got to get this done. Now it becomes more painful not to do it, which is usually the day or two before it's due. And then it's a mad rush to get it done. So we have to be careful what we drive towards. You know, people talk about the law of attraction and people say, well, it really doesn't work, but it works perfectly because there's two parts to it. People say, well, I asked for what I wanted and I didn't get it but you got to allow it to happen. So people say, I want to make a million dollars. Great. But then the next one is, how am I going to pay my car payment this month? I, oh my God, I don't have the money for my rent. So yeah. what they're not focused on the million dollars, they're focused on what they don't have and their mind focuses on that and they get more of what they don't have. Uh, you know, we, we are only aware of a small percentage of what goes on around us. Okay. So like, let's say 10 people witness a car accident. If I interview yeah. all 10 people, I get 10 similar stories, right? All a little bit different because everybody's yeah. perspective is different. So right. if you're always focused on the negative things in your life, that's what your mind is looking for to support that, not the things you want. In fact, it, it kind of just passes over those things that you want because it doesn't really see them. It's only focused on your negative stuff. Yeah. I love that. That is so, so powerful. So, okay. Let's talk about some timeless lessons you've learned along the way in life that you'd like to share with the audience. Timeless lessons. Well, one is things always have a tendency to take longer than you think they do, which we kind of touched on that. Um, I think the most important thing is it goes back to persistence. You try something and it doesn't work. You just keep going at it again and again and again until you get what you want. That I mean, that's that's the formula for everything. But I've also learned that my opinions are only my opinions. So when I work with a client, what they're expressing to me is coming from them. And that doesn't mean because I don't agree with them that I'm right. And I've learned that to accept people for how they are 
not how we think they should be. Because a lot of the angst we create for ourselves is somebody does something we don't like. And we get mad because we were expecting them to react the way we would react. Right. So we are the makers of our own angst. When we accept people for how they are, then it becomes easy. They have no expectations of what you're expecting them to do. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. They, you know, well, how could somebody do that to me? I would never do that. And maybe you never would, but they're not you. Who is it? Um, I want to say either Buddha or Confucius said that holding on to anger and resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I, and that's what we do is we get really angry at somebody. We hold on to that anger and that frustration and they don't even know you're angry with them, nor would yeah. they care if you were. And what are you doing? You're robbing yourself of your happiness and your joy. Yeah, no, I love that. That is so, so powerful. Um, what are some timeless mistakes you've learned and how to avoid them that people make? Timeless mistakes. Um, I would think the hardest thing it, I had to learn, and it took me the first 40 years of my life, is we kind of touched on it earlier, is worthiness. And many times people tie their worthiness to something external, especially in the world we live in now, social media, right? You know, post a picture, people like it, you feel good. If not enough people like it, you feel, okay, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Most people tie their worthiness to something ex external. Once I do this, I'll be happy. Once I do this, I can make more money. Here, when I was heavy, I'd say, you know, once I lose hundred pounds, people will love me and like me. Once I lose hundred pounds, people will accept me. Once I lose hundred pounds, people, I'll be more successful. And what happens is it's all baloney. Yeah. Okay. The reality is it really is people listen. If you can internalize what I'm going to say right now, you become really powerful is you are worthy of every single thing you want and desire in life for only one reason. You're alive. The fact that you open your eyes every day and you are breathing makes you worthy of everything you want and desire. No asterisk after that. And when you can internalize that concept, you become really powerful because you don't care what people think anymore. You can live your life authentically. And it took me a long time to realize that, that I don't need anybody else to validate myself. And I don't some people may say that sounds selfish or narcissistic, but it's not. You have what you need inside of you and you're worthy of what you want. You just have to want it and desire it and not worry what's happening outside of you. Wow, that is so incredibly profound and powerful. That is, it's next level. Like, wow. Okay, everybody rewind that and listen to it again and again and take notes and write it down. That's really, really, really fantastic. So um, what's the best piece of advice you'd like to give to your former self or to the audience? Um, if I had to go back in time to my younger self, I would say, you know what? You're going to be fine. Everything's going to work out fine. You're worthy of what you want. And the things that are happening around you have nothing to do with you. How people treat you and respond to you has to do with them, not with you, period. That's so powerful. Well, Scott, thank you so much. You've been on Oprah. You've been on Howard Stern. Now you've been on the Smart Money Circle. So I'm very, very happy and, and blessed. And thank, thank you very much. I, this was great. I really appreciate having me. I think it was a great conversation. Well, thank you so much. I, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll have you back again. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, you can reach me at my website, which is www i don't even think we have to do that anymore do we ultimate <laughs> visionary mind.com hey you know if you want to reach me by phone people can get a hold of me it's 847-331-5848 i love it thank you so much scott and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon thanks for having me